Hey everyone, it's Alex here. Just want to hop on quickly before the podcast started and let you know how this is working. Uh, you're going to hear us reference that we didn't get a guest uh, at the beginning of the podcast and obviously do our outro at the end of the podcast. And then it's going to jump to an interview. Uh, basically, Chase and I recorded Tuesday afternoon. We didn't think we were going to have a guest on. And then it turned out Wednesday morning, we found out we could get Sean McIndoe of The Athletic and Puck Soup on. Obviously, we had to have him on. It was a great conversation. We really enjoyed it. I think you will too, um, but so that's why you might hear us. We're gonna. There's two top or a topic we talk about once, which is Chase and I, and then once when Sean gets back on the podcast. So this will definitely be a bit longer of a podcast, but for good reason. So um, thank you everyone so much for listening, and I hope you all enjoy. the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Jason McCallum. And today we've got a bunch of news to break down uh, to start the season here. Uh, a bunch of signings, uh, including uh, a couple of big names that we haven't got to. Um, we were hoping to have a podcast before the season started, but uh, it didn't actually work out with the guests that we were hoping to get on. So uh, we took the week off and we are now ready. And hockey is actually here. So we will definitely talk about that. Uh, but we did want to talk about a couple signings that have happened um, since we last recorded, because there are a bunch of big, interesting names, um, including some coaches as well that we wanted to get to. So uh, we'll start with the furthest one back, and that's actually Matthew Barzell. I don't believe both Chase and I thought we had talked about this, but I went back and listened quickly to the past couple podcasts, and it didn't sound like we had actually discussed this one. So Matt Barzell signs eight years at $9.15 million, $73.2 million total. Uh, the 26-year-old center, you know, obviously – he was the, supposed to be the franchise. I mean, he, he is the franchise player for the Islanders. When you think Islanders, I think it's pretty fair to say, if you said name one player, it would still be Matt Barzell. But truthfully, he hasn't quite developed into that point-per-game center that everyone thought he would be. And, you know, some of that is people seem to think it's the Barry Trotz effect of, oh, he's got to play good defense. And he's been a good player, 62 points in 82 games, 60 points in 68 games, 45 and 55, 59 and 73 three, including uh, 17 points in 22 games in that one playoff run, and then 14 and 19 in the next playoff run. He hasn't been a bad player by any means, but he hasn't taken that step to top 10 level center like we thought he might have a couple years ago. Yeah, it's been just like an underwhelming. I think the one good year he had was pre-trots too, right? Yeah, offensively for sure. He put up, yeah. I think it was a point per, and then that was his rookie season too. Like his rookie season, he threw up. Um, it was 85, right? Yeah, but playing, it was 85 and 82 playing behind Tavares. Tavares, yeah. And no trots. Yeah. And like the team was way worse that year, just results wise. They missed the playoffs by a ton of points. But, and then the next, the next three, they obviously made it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think. This definitely is not a steal, that's for sure. No, but I still think it makes sense because, like, what else do you do, right? Like, if Barzell isn't good, they're so screwed. I mean, they're probably screwed anyways based on the age and all the contracts they've signed. But, like, your one out is that Barzell is, like, a 95-point first-line center. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it's obviously super early on, so... You know, it's, it's hard to tell what's going to happen this year. But he does have three points already in two games. So he's looked good early on this year. Um, but, yeah, no, I agree. Like, you have to sign this contract if you are the um, 
Islanders. And like, I, I don't think it's like, I, I saw when it was signed, some people were really trying to hot take of like, this was like a big overpay. I think this is just kind of in line with market value and still provides a little bit of upside. I would say this is though, mostly just like a fair contract. Yeah. I'd say if he didn't have one good season, uh, five years ago, this would probably be looked at as like a disgusting overpay, but He's got a good, good underlying numbers for a Like last year, he struggled defensively a little bit, but in the shortened season, when he put up 45 points in 55 games, he was also like good defensively and probably unlucky offensively. Yeah, that's true. Although the one concerning thing with his um, underlying numbers is we actually have like a reason for it. He's a better Corsi guy, or he's been a pretty good Corsi guy, slightly worse by XG and worse by goals. And he freaking loves to just feed the point. Yeah. So like, and- I wonder if that's like a systems thing or if it's just a hand well, thing. Yeah, that's the other thing that would give me hope for this contract if I was an Isles fan, because it's he's clearly like one of the most talented players in the league. Like in 1718, if you wanted to say he was like the third most valuable chip in like person in the NHL, you could have made that argument. Yeah, and like, like, the talent's clearly there. And his isolated impact, it's still like like Micah's model loves him offensively still. It is a big old red spot when he's in front of the net in his isolated model. Um, yeah, which makes sense, especially and it's especially impressive on a team that doesn't have much of that, right? Well, and that's the thing is I wonder if part of you know him feeding the point so often is that he kind of doesn't have many options when he's playing with people. Like this, yeah. this Islanders team just you know there are a bunch of scrappy players up front or whatever, and like Anders Lee's a good player, but if Anders Lee is like your best forward teammate that you're going to be put with, that kind of says all you need to know, right? Yeah, that's not something to brag about. The other thing, too, is, like, everybody credits being able to play behind Tavares in that one year he was fantastic. A lot of those points came on the power play. Being able to play with someone that good on the power play, which he hasn't had anyone close to that good sense, is going to hurt your point totals. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I mean – you know, and the, the other side of this is I don't really foresee him having anyone good that good to play with at any time <laughs> soon, like unless Oliver yeah. Wallstrom really breaks out. But yeah, um, but still, like I don't, I don't think my biggest point is I don't think like the some I'll say disappointing. Like they're still good, but they are disappointing when it comes to point totals. I don't know if that's something that should be like truthfully held against him. Yeah, it's and it's tough in the system because we think of most systems as relatively close to neutral, but the Islanders are a system that we know was a positive, but it's purely defensive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm going to be interested to see, you know, obviously under a new coach this year, um, what it looks like. And uh, obviously this extension doesn't even kick in until, this, uh, until next year. Uh, it'll start when he's 26, so it'll sign him right through his age 33-34 season which um, I don't, I'm not like too worried about that. Like I, yeah, I feel it's like, a good age. Exactly. Like this is the kind of contract you're, you're more than fine signing. If it's in three or four years, you're probably a little more, or if it's in three years from now, even two years from now, you're probably a little worried going to 36, 37 instead of 33, 34 ish. But um, the other thing too, and this is more just like a big note that I've kind of noticed is especially with star players on, and you know, say what you want about this Islanders team. They clearly still think that the window is now, but I feel like we overreact sometimes to like, Oh, what is this team going to do in eight years when this star player might not be good anymore? It's like, well, LTIR has shown to get out of 
literally every bad contract basically in the books. Yeah, these never turn out to be that bad. And honestly, there's with inflation, because the cap is apparently actually going to start rising soon. Maybe this is a steal by the time Barzell's like 30, if he turns back the clock a little bit. Yeah, that's that's the other thing, right? Like, it's, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I do think people make too big of a deal of, like, getting into your 30. And then I think that it should, you should still apply the logic of, like, be careful to the Louis Erickson's of the world where they were never really a star player anyways. Yeah. But Barcel's had legitimate flash. Exactly. Right. So it's like, yeah, like we've seen so many times with whether it's, you know, Shea Weber or um, PK Subban didn't go on LTIR, but like, he's just, we've seen so many times where it's like star players by the end of the career, if they're just not stars anymore, Odds are they're not going to want to play again. You know, Carey Price is another example of that. And, yep. you know, I think Carey Price, you know, he still put up a great playoff run just a year and a half ago, but it, it's clear that his body's just giving out. But, you know, it, it's pretty clear that there are ways around it that I feel like we don't always account for, is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, I think we definitely overreact to like how bad these things are going to be in the long run. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's a, a fine contract, like fair on both sides. If you told me Barzell, quote unquote broke out offensively again this year and put up 90 points like I wouldn't be shocked but if you also told me that he was a 70-ish point player who is just kind of mad defensively creates a lot on his own offensively but doesn't have many teammates to help him like that kind of seems right as well and honestly like I don't think that's not worth nine million dollars it's just that to me it's just more on the team for or on the GM for not surrounding him with talent around him yeah, exactly. And it, it gets at the pitfalls of using points, right? Where mm-hmm. he could look like a failure on paper despite being like an XG god. It's just nobody around him can finish. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think it's an okay contract. Like, I don't. It makes sense. A, yes, it, it's a fair contract, I think, is the way to put it, right? Like, yeah. Just, it's like when people look and they'll be like, oh, like, like if you want to argue it's a negative expected value contract, I'll be like, you know what? You're probably right. But you have to give an alternative. And I don't think there's a better alternative than just signing it. Yeah. I mean, no, I mean, not for Lamorello anyways. I, I think if no. you're looking at this as like a pure ownership thing, you could maybe debate trading him and trying to get a massive draft haul back for truly kickstart a rebuild, but they've made it clear they don't want to do that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's true. But basically every team outside of the top 10 could theoretically be better in the long run by just blowing it the hell up. Yeah, exactly. And like, it just might not be a feasible financial thing either, right? Like, it's, yeah, this is a win too, where it's like he was supposed to be, when Tavares left, he was supposed to be the new face of the franchise. And, you know, it would be a pretty bad look if he left seven years later as well. So, you know, I think sometimes that's a little overrated, but take it for what it's worth. Yeah, it's, I think it's worth noting on teams like the Islanders right now, where literally their last star left, or like the Sens, who literally their last group of stars left, kind of thing. Yeah, and it's not like they're locking up this, like, 30-year-old. Like, you know, I would argue Calgary is maybe, and we'll get into them in a little bit, Calgary's maybe rushed into some contracts that are going to not look so great in the long term because they wanted to prove that they can keep everyone. Whereas, like, at least Barcel's 20, 26 when this kicks in, right? So, yeah. Um, all right, on to another contract, one that I actually forgot to put in the rundown with you here, but it's Jason Robertson, four years, $7.75 million. Uh, 31 mil total. Uh, 
22 years old, break it, like not a household name yet, but feels like he's right on the cusp. Like anyone who's a real passionate hockey fan already knows how good this guy is. And he feels like the next guy to really truly take that step into like almost household name in terms of like, yes, this guy is an absolute star in the NHL. Um, what are your thoughts on this contract from the player and the team? For the player, I mean, I think I like it from the player because RFAs, like he's unpaid, obviously. So you could say bad contract for the player, but RFAs are just going to get underpaid. I don't think Jason Robertson can do anything about that. Never mind this contract ends when he's an RFA. I thought he ended. I thought four years took him to UFA. I completely changed everything of that. Yeah, I mean, I it's just because if it took him to UFA, that, yeah, if it went right to UFA, I think it would make all the sense in the world because it is probably going to be way too cheap for the next few years. Now um, his his salary in the fourth year is nine point three million dollars, which means his qualifying offer is going to be like I can't remember how the math works, but it's absurd. Like I think that is, means his qualifying offer will be like ten million dollars. It's nine point three, isn't it? Because wasn't that the thing with Timo Meyer where he's like, a is it the min- is it just the minimum offer? of what it is? I think so. I remember okay. Myers is insane and his is $10 million salary. So yeah. Okay. So yeah, probably. So I yeah. So like he's saying. guaranteeing that the team has to qualify him at $9.3 million in four years, which at that point, it'll probably depend where the team is. Right. Like I, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a classic thing of another RFA just clearly obviously going to be undervalued during their entire RFA contract. And then probably going to absolutely cash out in four years from now. Yeah. And you almost have to, just like great on a curve because these contracts always go against the player. Yeah, exactly. And like, I don't know how I feel about it from Dallas's side because I, I saw people, and I, I do think it's fair to give them some flack of like, this feels like the type of guy you should have tried to just get down for eight years because he's going to be a steal no matter what contract you sign him to for the next eight years with how, like how much the cap is projected to go up. Yeah. Like an eight by 10 or whatever certainly looks better to me, but I, I don't know if he wanted that. I agree. And also they they've kind of painted themselves like they didn't have they don't have ten million dollars in cap space for right now. Yeah, exactly. Which, they kind of put themselves that yes, I'm not leaving them off the hook because they're paying Tyler Sagan and Jamie Ben almost twenty million dollars combined to do absolutely nothing. Yeah, even Lindell and like Yeah, exactly. Like there's ways to get around that, right? But uh um, yeah. the Fox a contract. Yeah, but but my other kind of thought is too it's like yeah they have some good young pieces like high skin is 23 ottinger's 23 robertson's 23 as well but this just kind of feels like a team that's stuck in between two cores and like are they going to be competing in four years i don't know probably not unless they have somebody i'm really multiple people i'm really unaware of in the system they've got a couple of decent prospects but i feel like they like really have to hit on a couple of their prospects in the next couple of years to be in a like true competing window, I would assume in three to four years from now. So it's like, part of me also goes, yeah, I can see them in a place in two to three years from now where it's like, it almost makes more sense to move on from Jason Robertson, try and get an absolute draft haul and go from there. I don't know <laughs> if they will do that, but. Yeah, that would be ballsy. <laughs> like, and let's be honest. The reality is they're going to sign the Barzell contract in four years or like, they're going to do the same thing that Barzell just did and re-up him probably because it's the NHL, but yeah, he's going to sign the, yeah, or like the new version of the Benton contract or whatever in Dallas. 
Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I I go back and forth about people giving them crap for the term. Like I, I do. I think just a general rule of thumb when you're trying to sign a 22 year old who is as good as Jason Robertson is, is that you should just try and get him as long as you possibly can. But as you said, like, it's not a guarantee that Robertson wanted to just lock in for 10 years because that would be uh, like, it just wouldn't make sense for him, especially with the cap going up. Right. Like that's the other side of this thing is as much as teams should want to sign long-term because, you know, in six years from now, it might look like an absolute steal. I think it's it was Sean McIndoe from the uh, like down goes Brown from Puck Sue. He said multiple times he's like, there's going to be agents that get in a ton of shit in a couple of years because the cap is going to be up to like ninety eight million dollars, and all these guys locked in for eight years this offseason. It's like, what are we doing? Oh yeah, and the people who you got to be most afraid of in that are the Robins of the world. Exactly. So um, yeah, I, I think it you know it's the classic RFA contract. It's probably going to provide excess value for the next four years. Um, I'm not as high on this Dallas team as others are. So I don't like, to me, I'm a bit of a cynic when I go, okay, great. Like you're going to be a wild card team again, take some team to six and lose. Like that's awesome. But um, you know, at the same time, it's, it, you know, just as we said about the, uh, the Islanders, there is something to be able to market a young star too. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I get that side of it. Like I, I'm not sure what it does for them, but I'd certainly rather have them than not have them, even at a much higher price tag. So it's hard to be too upset about it. Agreed. Um, let's move on to another signing. I'm just trying to figure out which one is Mackenzie Weekend. Let's go, let's go to uh, Calgary, a team that played them in the first round of playoffs last year. Uh, Mackenzie Weeger signs an eight-year deal at $6.25 million or $50 million total. Uh, it'll kick in next year, obviously, when he turns 29. So this takes him to 37. They are locked into this core, um, obviously signing Kadri to the seven years. Uh, they signed Huberto to the massive contract already this offseason. And now the third piece of it uh, is Weeger. Um, we've talked about the Flames a lot. I won't lie. This is a much lower AAV than I thought it was going to be for Uyghur. And I'm, I'm a little higher on this contract than I thought it might be when, you know, they originally picked it up. Yeah, I was too. This is a guy who scored like 40 points last year as a defenseman without power play time. And I don't know if this is like a Canadian thing because it's the classic going from Florida to a Canadian team. He's really getting the, no, you don't understand. This guy's like really underrated kind of hype right now. Oh yeah. It is. It's like the trendiest thing ever. It's like so, he's like the new uh new Jacob Slavin. You're yeah. for knowing that he's good. So Even like I, everyone who pays attention knows he's good. Exactly. Like I, I was expecting him to get something in the sevens, maybe even the eights if he played out this year. Um so lock him in at 6.25. Like again, I, I think you know we can argue till we're blue in the face about whether the the smartest thing long term would have been to kind of blow it up or you know lock in with this core and try and go for it. I don't know if there's truly a wrong answer, but given the moves they've already made this offseason, you can't go half and half, half in, half out and let Uyghur walk now. So I think this is a very fine contract given the circumstances. Yeah, they're already fully in. You basically have to sign it at this point. Exactly. So, um, you know, it, like it, it's a $3 million raise from what he's on now, which is respectable enough. Like it, it's a good raise, but at the same time, like, 
Milan Lucic money coming off the books mm-hmm. next year covers all of that, you know, and then you still have two point two five million dollars to go replace Milan oh, Lucic, which is easy, easy should be easy enough to do, anyways. Yeah, and I think that's a good spot. Like I know nothing about what athletes are thinking, but people as good as Uyghur are at this age have usually made a lot more money than he does has at this point. So I, I get why you would want to take the really long term security if you're somebody like him too, right? Yeah, for sure. And it's like, you know, this is also a guy that like even passionate hockey fans probably really hadn't heard of just two years ago, to be honest. So, yeah, like I I just, I I totally understand why he signs this as well. And like, you know, if it's, if he likes Calgary and feels like he's going to like to play here, I mean, yeah, I I can't, I won't ever blame a guy for taking $50 million and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. that. And they'll be as good as long as he's good more or less anyways. Yeah, exactly. No. Like the, this is their window right now over the next couple of years here. So yeah, yeah, walk into a team that is legitimately a Stanley Cup contender and you know, go from there. Like I yeah, yeah I, I can't blame them at all. I, I think this is a fair contract. Uh, it's again, it, it's a classic, like, yes, this will obviously not be good when he's 36 years old or whatever, but part of me kind of thinks that it's not going to be a big deal because there'll be ways around it if he is truly that bad. Yeah. And like, they have so many contracts like that. I kind of doubt there'll be a way out of all of them, but those be a rebuilding team at that point. Anyways. Yeah, exactly. So um, the other thing the flames did was resign their head coach, uh, Daryl Sutter. Not much to say about this really, other than like, obviously very well-deserved, you know, like it's, uh, I don't think there's anyone arguing against what Daryl Sutter has done for this team since he took over three years ago. Yeah, you basically couldn't in good faith. No. Um, so uh, I just want to mention that. I, I really don't have much uh, to comment on it, to be honest. Like, it's just, you know, it's fair. Like, there, there's no way you, you're trying to justify moving away from him after, you know, the heights he's taking. Like, I was full proponent of them blowing it up and getting rid of both uh, Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk. They did that, and they still look like a Stanley Cup contender. Now, the window might be a little smaller than it was with those two guys, but it's they're still in that cup contention at windows and very, very largely because of Daryl Sutter. Like they had a very similar team from when he took over to when they started having success. And the difference was the head coach. Exactly. Like Chris Tanev, instead of being washed as a number one defenseman, basically thanks to the changes that Sutter made. Yeah, exactly. And like Jacob Markstrom post 12 shutouts because it's just a defensive machine in front of them. Yeah, or even a guy like um, Lindholm. Lindholm was aggressively mediocre in Carolina, which everybody thinks is a really good place to be, and yet he's been absolutely freaking lights out for Calgary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, both the guys who came over that Carolina trade have been. Yep. Like so. Yeah, I, I think it's um, go you know, no brainer move really. So, uh, who am I blanking on the other guy? Oh, Hannafin. Hannafin, yeah. Yeah, Hannafin and Rasmus Anderson took a massive step under him last year. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if that continues. But um, where are you at with the Flames in terms of, like, where would you rank them among teams in the NHL right now? The NHL, probably five. I think that's about fair. I go two in the West and then. 
Tampa, Toronto, Florida above them? Yeah, I waver on Florida a little bit. That's fair. Yeah, I could see them four. Uh, I can actually see them five. I have them in the like two to five range for sure. Yeah, I could basically see an easy argument for them being better than everyone but the Avs. Yeah. Well, like the reason I bring it up is because they beat the Avs, obviously, um, this past weekend in an early matchup. And again, it's it's so early that it's the classic overreaction stuff, but there's people already starting to take victory laps on like actually the abs might not be as good as we think because they did <laughs> lose a lot of depth. And it's like it is true, the abs lost a lot of depth. That's a fair thing to say, but also like this was one of the best teams we've seen for years. There's so far for them to come down from. Yeah, they, they probably won't be nearly as good as they were last year, but they could lose like 10 points and still be a top five team in the league. And even if Calgary finishes with more points in them in the regular season, when it comes to it, if they match up in the playoffs, like I still think Colorado needs to be favored. It's the same argument with like Tampa on the other side, you know? Like, yeah. until well, we see other. Yeah, oh, they're just. Yeah. I was just going to say, that's the only reason. Because in the regular season, I think they're better bet to have points than Tampa Bay. But in a playoff series, it probably favor Tampa still. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I was just curious. Yeah, I, I would have them. I think Colorado is still the best team. And then I'd have them in that mix with Toronto, Carolina. Uh, Tampa's got to be there. Um, Florida's probably around there as well. I'm a little less. I don't know. Money puck is Florida is the highest odds to win the cup and the second highest odds to make the cup finals. And that seems aggressive to me. Like I'd have Florida closer to six or seven than I would too, to be completely honest. Highest odds is money pack always has really weird uh, percentages relative to the market. That's kind of interesting. Though. Yeah, it, it is. So um, I and think then the they're other... purely team based, right? Yeah, I believe that's right. Yeah. And I think that might be why, because obviously Florida's metrics were ridiculous last year, but they took an obvious step back. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and then the other team that, you know, it's starting to creep back into that mix. It's very early. So I'm not, I'm not officially ready to do this yet, but Vegas looks really good early, dude. Vegas does look good. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about this off air, but, you know, we were mentoring, mentoring, Jesus, mentioning the Bruce Cassidy effect and how aggressive that could be. And something that we maybe didn't take enough into consideration when doing our, uh, off-season prep this uh this summer yeah i kind of completely forgot about it to be honest and even more so is like i kind of remembered but i still have it stuck in my head that like gerard gallant was the last head coach of this team not DeBoer. not pete that's good yeah. DeBoer, so forgettable exactly I'm like there's nothing against DeBoer, but yeah he's just like, like he's the 15th or 16th best coach in the nhl just yeah, like, dead on average. I don't think, you know, he helps teams in the short run. I think he has some serious flaws when it comes to matchups and playoffs and stuff, isolating. But, you know, like, he's just very fine. Whereas, like, the jump, like, I, to me, and I, again, I'm saying this, to me, Cassidy is a top five coach in the NHL. Especially if he yeah. takes it, if, if Vegas remains to look as good as they have early, and, you know, he does this with the second team. Yes, he has had good rosters, including that Boston roster, but he got just as much out of that Boston roster as like Cole Julian, who I thought was an amazing coach as well. He got more out of them, arguably, at times too. He probably did get more. Yeah, like remember how everybody thought they were idiots for firing Julian and then mm-hmm. they just got better despite the fact the guys got older. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, like I, I think Bruce Cassidy's a legit like top five coach. I think Gallant is in that 
top 10 range, you know, and I know the Rangers didn't have great underlying numbers last year, but I'm, you know, I still partly think that's a roster issue, maybe more than a coach issue. Yeah. So, um, you know, but my point was more just like, if they went from Gallant to Cassie, that's a slightly less upgrade than from DeBoer to Cassie, which is, you know, a big enough jump. So, um, yeah, Vegas looks really good this year too, and they're going to be an interesting team to keep an eye on in the East, or in the East, in the West. It'd be a lot more fun if they're good, because other than that, there's not much to care about. No, it's really like, can Calgary and Colorado both make it through to get to where they need to be? Yeah, and even like, it's not particularly fun. Just two teams that are good. Question is how good? Yeah, exactly. So Vegas um, people are like, oh, they might miss the playoffs. They also might win the West. Yeah, yeah. So here's another. Uh, we got a couple more pieces of news. We'll go to another uh, player and then coaching signing for the same team, uh, the Buffalo Sabers. So they extend Don Granado uh, to a multi-year deal. So I think he's still had two years left this year and one more. So he's now actually signed for four years or three more after this year. Um, basically just show, rewarding a guy for doing a pretty solid job so far. Like, I don't know. We're, we're obviously very, you know, we're not breaking down complete tactics of how teams play, but basically any smart person that I've listened to who like really gets in and quote unquote watches the games has loved what Granado has done. Um, so I don't really have anything against this extension. And it makes sense looking at the outputs too, like, Tage Thompson randomly transforms into being absolutely fantastic when he's playing for the Sabres. Like Dallin played slow. Like he had a slow start, but like started to turn it around really, really well last year. Like they've got a lot of decent, like they don't have a ton of talent to work with. Even Jeff Skinner's underlying numbers are freaking fantastic if I remember correctly. So like the outputs have all been there too. So if people are talking about how the inputs are good with him. I think that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, exactly. Like they've just become, they've gone from, bottom absolute bottom feeder because they were more of a respectable team this year and you know they're hoping to take that jump to you know not playoffs probably yet but definitely playing meaningful hockey past you know january and february which is what that honestly there's been for the most the, the better part of the past half decade it hasn't even gotten to january where they're playing meaningful hockey so yeah exactly just seeing them be competitive would be a huge win and honestly they still don't have a ton of skill on their roster so you got to give them a lot of credit if they are yeah exactly it'll be you know it'll be interesting to see how he works with some of these young guys because they uh they definitely have upside you know more than some other teams but uh yeah. it's yeah they're, they're not like loaded with just absolute can't miss studs this year either right so um one player they locked in for seven years at 4.285 million dollars 30 million total is Matias Samuelson, 23-year-old left-handed defenseman. He has not scored a goal yet in his NHL career, but is now has $30 million to his name over the next seven years. Um, this was a contract that had a lot of people talking and doing the classic, like, look at this stupid team. How could they sign this player? Uh, he only had played 53 games at the time of signing it. 54, sorry. But I'm going to be honest, I... I don't hate this deal. Like, I think I like it. The more I think about it, the more I like it. It it feels like the type of contract they should be like they should be trying to take a a, a spin on, right? Yeah, take a big risk, and it's not even that big of a risk. But this guy's a how tall is he? He's tall, if I remember correctly. He's a six foot four defenseman drafted one pick outside of the first round. 
like and it's still relatively cheap this seems like the kind of guy that somebody would talk themselves into even if this is a disaster on an rapm chart oh yeah like if this goes backwards in three years or whatever you can still easily enough move out of this deal yeah so um, and he'll yeah. have the even if his defensive results suck staple him to Dallin and then when Dallin puts up 50 points you'd be like well he only did this because uh Samuelson was staying home for him or whatever and there you go now you have yeah. the guys defensive stalwart exactly and so and the, so that's the biggest thing and the reason they are signing him is they're hoping he becomes the next Ryan Ellis uh at home kind of contract right where you look and yeah. this guy's 27 years old one of the best defensive defensemen in the game and you go how on earth is he only making four million dollars um and it's a fair enough gamble based on the evidence we have so far. He has been really good defensively in his career so far. It's just, it's been under a full season of hockey. It's been 54 games. Yeah. And that's the risk is it is a small sample and the least reliable thing in hockey. Uh, but I still like it because it's not that big of a risk. No, it, it's just the classic, like the upside is so high in terms of the downside that I think is there that I, I do really like the deal and it took way the, the absolute least you have to say, or the most you can say about it. It's like, you want to quote shit on the deal. It can't be because he has zero goals. Like I saw people at like, it was a classic mainstream media thing of freaking out because it was a player they had never heard of because let's be honest. I, I had barely heard of him before. Like I knew who he was, but I didn't really think much about him before yeah. he signed this contract. And I'm not blaming anyone for not watching the Buffalo Sabres over the past two years, but you can't then just turn around and be like, wow, I've never heard of this guy, so this must be a stupid contract. He Look, he doesn't have a single goal. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways where we complain about, like, points aren't everything for defense, and then also, LOL, this team's stupid. They signed a defenseman who hasn't scored yet to a seven-year deal. A hundred percent. Also, like, despite not putting up points, he put up, like, average-ish results. The wild thing about this contract is he doesn't actually need to get better to be worth $4 million. If you're an average defenseman for four mil, that's fine. Yeah, that's like he could decline, still be an okay third pair defenseman. And like, as we keep saying, if the cap goes up, that might not be that like, just like not like teams could stuff like that. I'm not saying Buffalo would for eight, seven years of it, but again, it would make it very easy to move if he is quote unquote only a third pair defenseman. Exactly. And let's say, I don't know, what was he last year? Like a three or a four? If he's just that, Four million dollars isn't outrageous for that. It's not good, like it's not a steal or anything. But you could certainly do worse, and there are a large number of teams that are. So even the downside isn't that bad, I don't think, unless it completely falls off the face of the earth. But it seems unlikely. Yeah, exactly. So um, no, I, I think this is a, a good, you know, bet for Buffalo. Um, it's not guaranteed to work out by any means, but I, I definitely have no issues with them taking a shot like this, given where they are too, and, and just trying to get that uh, high end of variance. Exactly. And they've got a lot of really good prospects that are all going to be making a lot of money um, if they're ever going to be competitive. And you're going to need guys who are absolute steals to avoid cap hell. And you're going to have to take risks to get steals. Yep, absolutely. So um, yeah, let's move on to another defenseman contract. Uh, much more notable name, definitely, than uh, Matthias Samuelson. That's Travis Sanheim signing an extension with the Philadelphia Flyers. $6.25 million 
per year for eight years, kicks in when he's 27. Um, you know, so again, it takes him to his mid thirties, $50 million on the dot. Travis Sandheim, the player I like, I think he's, you know, a, he's a, he's a good defensive defenseman, at least the past two years. He, you know, most of his career, yes, he's had one outlier season in 2019, 20, where he wasn't great in his own end, but isolated impacts have really liked him in his own end. Uh, his RAPM has been relatively strong. I think $6.25 million is very good value for him. I'm just not really sure why the Philadelphia Flyers are signing. Yeah, I'm not really sure what it does for their cup odds, but I think in a vacuum is a great contract. I, I'll tell you what their cup, their cup odds on, uh, <laughs> at least on money pocket. Again, like they don't always have, but like I would guarantee most of them are very similar. If zero point, they don't even have a one percent chance of winning the cup according to money pocket. Yeah, I bet you in like betting markets, probably even lower than that too. Yeah, like they're at now. Money Puck only has them at four point five percent to win the draft lottery, which is you know a little lower than I thought they might be. Like that's tenth lowest right now. But some of that is too. I, I feel like they have gotten off to a hot start, and I feel like that might be an aggressive overreaction by the model. Um, they're and and when I say hot start, at the time of recording this, they are. Two and up. So they just, they haven't lost quite yet. And then, but they've only played two games, obviously. There's still lots of time. Yeah, I, I love this contract in a vacuum. And for Philly, it's, it's not the end of the world or anything like that either. I just, it's a classic case of like, I'm not shocked they signed it because everything they've done this offseason suggests that they still think they're competitors and contenders that they yeah, want they to win now. So I'm not shocked that they signed it. It's just like, again, if you're looking at this team, logically it just makes way more sense to try and probably trade Sandheim because you know he's at one year left at 4.67 and get a haul from him and honestly I think you could even argue that him signing this extension probably makes him even more valuable on the trade market because he's just gonna say that I just I I don't think they're trading him but absolutely like now your teams would know that he's locked in for eight more years at 6.25 Instead of if they traded for him, he would have all the leverage in the world to be like, no, 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 I want eight. You just gave up a first and a good prospect for me or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, that being said, they do have like some decent young pieces. Maybe they think they can rebuild fast. Yeah. I'm like, it's not out of question, I guess. Well, actually, let's get one thing clear. You're right. They think they're good. They might lock into being able to rebuild fast anyways. Yes, exactly. It's just like, they have Scott Lawton signed for four years at $3 million. Nick Delorier, four years, $1.75 million. Those contracts aren't going to kill you. We're just like, like, why? You know, like Kevin Hayes is four more years at $7 million. Cam Atkinson is three more years at 5.8. Again, I don't like hate Cam Atkinson as a player by any means, but you're gonna be paying 36-year-old Ken Atkinson $5.875 million. Yeah. Okay. Tough. Like, yeah, you go for it. And then the other question is just like, what do they do in net? Yeah, like can they turn it over to get some of their prospects? Like they just they, they need to hit on some prospects to be really good in the next couple of years, that's for sure. And you know, so maybe they do think that like um Sandheim can be that guy where whoever, whatever the next big defensive prospect comes up for their team. He can try and you know guide them along on the right side or whatever. I uh, that that's fine. I, I don't mind that. It's just yeah, it's very clear this team still thinks they're very good, and I, I think they're going to be um, 
in for a tough time unless Carter Hart plays out of his mind all season. Yeah, and it's, a, it's funny. Like they're definitely better off just being bad in this historic draft. Yeah, given everything that's on their roster, there's just such an odd team with their unwillingness to commit to that. And it's like, and they brought in John Tortorella too, so you know they're just gonna have so many loser points. Like, yeah. like every other team as bad as them is actively trying to, right? It's it's almost sad when a team is as bad as like the Canadians when they think they're competitive. Yeah, like this is because yeah, like the Canadians, Blackhawks, uh Coyotes all know that they're bad. You know, the Blackhawks yeah. denied it for a while, but they very clearly made it known that they are bad. They're very yeah. intentionally bad at this point, yeah. Yeah, like I bet you if you fool it, like if management was being dead honest, they would still think that this team can make playoffs. And I'm just like, to me, that's just a even if they somehow went on a miracle run and get in the eight seed, you're getting your ass kicked in the first round. So what does that do? Yeah, exactly. But even yeah. even a team like the Sharks, who are probably in a similar tier, I'm like the Sharks are paying Burns not to play for them this year. I think they even know they're oh yeah they are their, new, their new GM moves like it, it very is clear it's clear that he said no we gotta take a step back and retool here yeah so every team in this tier is self-aware except for this one yeah um so I don't know yeah I, I like the contract in the vacuum I, I don't really understand the fit for the team it's not the worst thing in the world but like like Sandheim is a very good player um it's just yeah I worry a little bit about the direction that they plan to go with their future so we'll see yeah, that's fair. And it, it probably does, sadly, little for them, but it's yeah. a good contract for the player, at least. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's get into the season so far. It's been pretty good to, you know, to open up the year. It's been, there's been some pretty good hockey games, I would say, throughout the league. Um, I don't know, have you watched? I, I basically watched a game, it feels like, every night at least, but I don't know how much you've gotten to watch out of, uh, of the teams at all, but... I've watched very little so far, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, so there's a couple of things that stand out. Obviously, we uh, got to talk about the Maple Leafs. Matt Murray is already on the IR after a singular game. He pulled his groin in pre, just a morning skate before they were supposed to be playing the Ottawa Centers on Saturday. Uh, this has Toronto in a frenzy, and then it makes it worse that they lost to the Arizona Coyotes last night in what was the lock of the week at Coyotes were like plus 400 at one point. Um, I'm, I'm mad. I didn't get on Nick Ritchie anytime goal scorer. That was another lock that ended up coming true. Um, I don't really know what to say. They were playing Eric Shelgren and that like, it is, it's not good. Obviously losing the Coyotes, but the Coyotes are going to win 20 games this year. At least. Yeah. Well, like, also like as bad as they are. Like, I don't want to freak out about it because I and everyone else on Leafs Twitter are going to judge the success of this season based on a seven-game sample in the playoffs, which is stupid, but in the context of the Leafs, it makes sense. Um, and everyone would say that makes sense, right? Like, that's not a hot take. Uh, if you're going to say that, you can't also say that we need to fire Sheldon Keefe based on an October 17th loss Yeah, to go no, two and two. Exactly. And it's like, I'm not trying to defend it because it is a bad law, but again, like, 15 other teams, at least 20 other teams are going to go through this yeah. same thing with the Coyotes. They're, the Coyotes were never going to go through the season winning three games. Yeah, it's a bad loss. It's just that I don't care. Like, I don't know, weird shit like this is going to happen. And they're going to beat 
Colorado, Calgary, and Vegas three times in a row when they're in the West randomly on a road trip. And everybody's just going to be kind of half silent at that point. Yeah, people won't notice. Like, yeah, because it's going to happen in the middle of February and nobody's going to care. Well, no one's, and like, obviously, it's nowhere near as bad as like losing to the Coyotes, but the Lightning have gotten, they got blown out by the Penguins and honestly didn't look that great against the Rangers. The Lightning are one and two. You don't hear anyone panicking out there. Yeah, nobody said a word. And again, like, I get that the Lightning have built themselves very much goodwill because of what they have done in the playoffs over the past three years. But it's the idea that, like, yes, bad team or good teams lose games and bad teams can win games in the NHL. That's how it works. Well, the other, I was I was thinking about this last night, and everybody was too mad for me to actually throw it out there. But so the Leafs have the of good teams, the least have the worst record against bad teams. Again, if you're going to judge a team solely based on what they do in a seven game playoff series. The inverse of that also has to be true for the first part of that sentence to be true, which means they have a better record than most teams as good as they are against playoff teams. That would be a good thing if you're trying to win playoff games, right? Yeah, I mean, like, it's funny. Someone posted a graph of, it was just like, Leafs all, and this was, it was just yeah, a full of it. Yeah, it was, it was like, Leafs odds to win when playing a team. It was like, very, very good team, and it was obviously like, Around 50, a little below 50%, because obviously, like, they're not going to be favored against the Avs or whatever. And then it's like, as it goes up to, like, decent team or whatever, it's above 50% because they should be favored against, like, the St. Louis Blues and Dallas Stars of the league. And then it gets to um, bad team. So I would say, like, that's, like, the Buffaloes and the um, Winnipeg's maybe even of that. Winnipeg might not grow, but Seattle's. Yeah, Seattle. Yeah, like the, like that. the teams that are bad, but they're not like so hilariously bad that it's like you can't lose yeah. to them. That's Plus. their highest peak. Yeah. And then it's like hilariously disgusting bad. So like the Chicago Blackhawks and Arizona Coyotes of this year. And uh, the Habs. Yeah, and the Habs. It's like, can't forget the Habs. <laughs> and the graph dips back down again on their win percentage. And it's like, yes, that feels extremely accurate for this team. Um, yeah, I don't like It's because it's the biggest fan base. People overreact to every loss. And, you know, rightfully or wrongfully, because of their playoff history, people are now not caring when they go on four-game winning streaks. And to be honest, that's fine. But if you're not going to care about the four-game winning streak, you can't care about the one-game losing streak that comes with your third-string goalie in that. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. And, like, I promise you, it's better for your, like, mental health not to lose, like, to just be a little more apathetic about Tuesday night games in the middle of the regular season. That's what I would say. It's not that you can't care. You can take concerns and stuff away if it becomes a trend. Or be like, ah, oh, that was a good. But you don't need to be so just like shakingly angry that you're demanding for the coach's head after game four of the season. Exactly. And yeah, like care whatever you want. But I don't know. I'm far past the point of caring if they lose a random Tuesday night game. Like, yeah. These things there's, happen. There's a huge difference of like that was a pathetic loss. Like they shouldn't be losing games like that, but oh well, let's if they come back and win the next two, we'll forget all about it. And that was the most unacceptable thing. This franchise pathetic, fire Sean Keith, fire Kyle Dubas, fire everyone in the organization. It's like, yeah. well, no, like there's obviously a much more level head to that. Yeah. Well, and the worst part to me isn't that people say it, because obviously people are just getting frustrated and say it. It's that there's this weird thing on Leafs Twitter where um people like think they're 
smarter analyzing this stuff being like well if you don't see that this is a problem like you're an idiot like pretending that the people who don't overreact to a one game sample are actually idiots it's like you can be mad all you want about it just like don't pretend it's rational that's cool yeah exactly so um but yeah the matt murray's already hurt and um as a sense fan who's watched him be nothing but hurt over the past two years this just isn't a shock to me unfortunately like DJ yeah. Smith was asked about it and his quote was like they posted, you know, when you get the notification of like what a coach says, you go, there's no way that that must have been like just completely mistaken out of the sentence or whatever. Yeah. Sportsnet had one Yeah, exactly. Sportsnet had one DJ Smith. He was just never healthy when he was here. And it was taken a little bit out of context because when you when you hear the toy, uh, tone in his voice, you can tell he's like sympathetic towards it where, you know, so they asked him about Matt Murray and his, his response was basically just like, yeah, like, unfortunately, he just was never healthy with us. Like, he just, he, when he played, he was good at times, but he was not there at, for long enough stretches or anything like that, which is just the truth. He played 56 games, I think, for the Sens and missed 60-plus on at being injured, not just, like, the backup when he wasn't playing, fully being injured and unavailable. He was unavailable for more games than he even started. Yeah, which, you know, happens to some guys, and it sucks, but... It just does. Yeah. And so, you know, already you're seeing it in Toronto. And I do think, you know, it's a very valid criticism of Dubas that, you know, question. Obviously, it's unfortunate it happened this early in the season, but you knew this was a very, very large possibility with a guy like this. Yeah. And I'm thinking, like, even back to his Pittsburgh days, like, that's why he missed the first, uh, first half of their second cup run, right? He was hurt. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Flurry Flurry started the second cup run, yeah, and Murray came in later. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that if there is a criticism, it is that you know he's always hurt, and you know this is not this should not have caught anyone off guard. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's too bad because it'd be nice to see him healthy and whatnot. But but like no. that, it just seems to happen. Some people just seem to not be able to avoid it, and that yep. sucks. But... So it'll be interesting. This really opens up a spot for Samsonov, though. Who you know I was kind of quietly saying I thought he could be the starter regardless of what Matt Murray, if he stays healthy or not. And he is going to get the opportunity now because I didn't watch the game last night. I saw Shelgren let up four goals on not too many shots. And I just can't imagine Shelgren. I can't even imagine he's the backup if Joseph Wall gets healthy soon. So this is going Probably to be Samson's net to run with. Yeah. And if we want to, uh, if we want to do the inverse, um, we should fire Sheldon Keefe because they lost to Arizona, but we should probably give Samson off the Vesna and extend them long term because that's a 926 save percentage two games in. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, this guy's going undefeated. Uh, I don't know what else to say, but no, yeah, he, he's looked good early. Like, he looked good against in Ottawa on Saturday and obviously when he played Washington too. But um, it'll be this like, this is why you sign two guys that are bit of question marks because you're hoping one you get the variance on one, which might mean getting the bad end of variance on the other. Yeah. And honestly, if Samsonov's like legit good, it's worth however bad Matt Murray is, even if that's the cost. Yeah, I would agree. And and there's going to be ways out of Murray's contract, but you know, that's that's further down the road anyways. I just want to bring it up because it's four games in and at least Twitter is melting down. So um yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to monitor that. Um the other thing I want to bring up going into the season, and honestly, I'm, I'm less mad about it now just because it's been so much time. If we recorded last week, I would have gone on a 20-minute rant about how stupid this league is. So they've promoted 
you, you would think, you know, we, we have a hockey podcast. We do this weekly. I have another hockey podcast that I do, you know, I would say every other week or so that's just on the Ottawa Senators. I write about hockey for a site. I edit for that site. We are the top 0.01% of NHL fans, you and I. Yep. Did you know that the season actually started not last Tuesday, but the Friday before that in the Czech Republic? I sent you guys a message in the group chat. I sent you and Charter a message to be like, what the hell happened here? Yeah, because I found out on the Friday that the games are the Thursday afternoon before the games are taking place. I sent out a tweet and I said, wow, the NHL has done a horrible job of marketing that there's a game on tomorrow that counts in the standings. And I had, I think I got well over 100 likes on Twitter, but also 10 responses going, what are you talking about? And it's because they just decided not to promote their state or their um, global series game between the National Predators and San Jose Sharks over in the Czech Republic for back-to-back games. And listen, like, I had some people push back. I was like, well, it's the, that game's for the fans. It's like, no, I get that. I'm not asking for a massive mm-hmm. spectacle. But the fact that you couldn't get these two games on national TV, they start your season. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> the game is about the fans. Guess where most of your fans live? Yeah, and like... The, Not the, the argument, Czech Republic. <laughs> the argument is that it's for growing the game in the Czech Republic, which is fine. I totally understand that. But they were... They had the games on TV anyways. The fact that they just chose not to broadcast them is just malpractice. I don't care if that's the first and second. I mean, it makes it so much worse that it is the only regular season game going on to start your season. But even if that was a game in November, I would expect that to be on TV where I can access it. Oh, yeah, it's horrible. There's literally no excuse for it. No. So I don't know what to say. Like, it's just... it's absolutely insane. And like the marketing is literally, it, they doubled down too on the marketing of like the NHL season starts on Tuesday night with the Rangers and Lightning. It's like, no, no, no. The NHL season started on Friday afternoon with the Predators and Sharks. And I get that's not as sexy as a title or anything, but like the fact that you didn't promote that at all is just so telling. Oh, it's so bad. Like, not to mention, th- this is a Friday afternoon game. You, There's no sports you're competing with here. Actually, baseball players might have been on it. Now that I say that, but but like, no. like oh, I just I, I can't believe it. I'm I'm just absolutely shocked. And it goes to the same like so. This past Sunday, there was no games on. Why? I got oh, they don't want to compete with the NFL. The NFL's on for a long time still. You cannot avoid games every Sunday because you're scared of the NFL Week Six. Yeah, you could also like probably. Like, I don't know how you would do this, but there's people who know this stuff better than I do. You could probably time it such that you avoid some of the NFL. Yeah, I mean, like, it's probably hard because the NFL's on all day. But, like, just there's got to be, like, you... low points or something, though. Well, and I'm not asking you to put eight games on. Just throw the Panthers and, I, I don't know, even, like, the Panthers Sabres on on the after, like, the Flyers and Hurricanes. Throw those two teams on. Yeah, like there's got to be some statistic where if you start a game at five or whatever, you can you're competing with the four p.m. slate, but you can or like six, you can get mostly out of the way of the four p.m. slate before Sunday night football or something. Like there's got to be a way around it for that a billion dollar league could figure out. No kidding, or even just like don't be some chicken shit of your industry. Try and grow it a little. Yep. Like maybe be real smart. Time it at the end of games or something. So maybe yeah, or someone mid- early. Games, 
so you can flip back and forth like start your start game at halftime when all the 1 p.m games yeah. half time start your game then and then maybe you get somebody hooked into a good start and they keep watching yours instead of going back to the you know 13 13 football game or whatever yeah and like again i i know most american fans won't do that but you can't have zero games on <laughs> the first week of your schedule yeah, like you should probably at least try. Like the only ones that are respectable to not have it on are U.S. Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas Day, Christmas, yeah, uh, Super Bowl Sunday, and yeah. that's about it. Yeah, maybe if there's like Game Seven of a World Series or something, you could go avoid yeah. that. But yeah, but even then, you're not going to know when that schedule is. Yeah, exactly. So you can't plan it in advance. No, exactly. So like. Yeah, the only day, like the ones where it's like absolute marquee, because like Christmas Day, there's now NFL games on, but also that was usually the NBA's day. You're just not beating that. That's totally fine. Uh, Thanksgiving, same thing. NFL, that's totally fine. Uh, Super Bowl, no one goes up against the Super Bowl. Totally understandable. If you're going to do a Super Bowl game, the game starts at 1 p.m. Um, Yeah. That's fine. Those are the only three that you can't be, you're just so screwed if you're dancing around before it even starts like that. You know, like, and people were like, well, there's MLB playoffs on too. Yeah, there's MLB playoffs on for the next two weeks. And I, I don't know, because people were like, well, like if TNT or ESPN, maybe they're busy with other stuff. Again, you're screwed if that's your logic. But also, I don't need these games to be on national TV. Put them on the Bali Network Florida or whatever. I don't care. I just want to watch hockey games. Yeah, play them somewhere that your fans can find them because as much as the NFL's or NHL's small, you still have plenty of people that will want them. Oh yeah, like I'm not saying like I'm not saying they need to be putting their marquee matchup uh Panther Panther. Uh, we'll go Golden Knights and NX or you know, something like that, right? Like that'd be a big matchup, I would assume in the States and the good teams, or like Rangers and Blackhawks. So that's a massive market matchup. Rangers, Bruins, etc. I'm not saying you need to put that on national television on a Sunday or anything, but you just cannot have no product on it. Just that's unacceptable. Yeah. It's just sad to be honest. It is. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the logic in that was, but it's just been, it's not, it's just constant. I, I really don't get it. And it's same with like, even just on uh, Monday night, there were six games that started all started at 7 PM. In terms of, there was games that started at like nine and ten as well, but like start a couple of them at seven fifteen. Like, there's a woman on Twitter, and I forget her name because I wish I could share it right now. That has visuals of the NHL scheduling, and yeah, it just shows. It's just a visual of them all starting at the exact same time with like some sort of sassy comment, and they always make me laugh. Yeah, and because it's like in the NHL too, it's not like like I th- I still think it's kind of stupid how the NFL kicks off seven games at 1 p.m. as well. Like, I, I don't really understand that either. But the one thing with the NFL is, A, their halftime is shorter, and B, because of how many, like, how much running affects the game and the clock, you have games that are done halftime before the other ones are even, like, partly way through the second quarter. Whereas yeah, the or there's NHL, just, like, one team has a bad injury or whatever, so things take an extra, like, 10 minutes. Exactly. In the NHL, you get, like, a three-minute disparity at most between games. Yeah. So it's like you get to watch the last minute of about three different games when your favorite team ends, and then you just have to wait and watch the intermissions for all the games. It's like, I don't want to do this. I want to keep watching your product. Let me keep watching your product. Yeah, start the games are a lot better than the intermission. Literally, start 
two games at seven, two games at seven fifteen, two games at seven thirty. Or start like seven point, like just a little bit of delay is all I'm asking for. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's so many smarter ways you think you should be able to go about it. Yeah, I just I, I generally I'm not like I'm not asking you to start Eastern teams at eight p.m. or anything like that, but you gotta be able to work a little bit in that seven o'clock timeout. Yeah, yeah. So. Like again, they're a billion dollar industry. You think you should be able to figure something out? Yes, literally. So, um, all right, let's we gotta end on two topics. I, I there's not much to say on these really, um, but. It, it would be wrong to go the whole podcast like, without mentioning them. Ian Cole uh, and the Tampa Bay Lightning situation. Obviously, there was a Twitter user who came out and made allegations against Ian Cole uh, that he was grooming a minor and uh, abusing a minor. Um, the NHL investigated it and didn't didn't find enough evidence to do anything. So I believe he is reinstated with Tampa. Tampa suspended with pay right away. Uh, just a Brutal situation. Um, again, I, I don't have much to say. We're, we're not, yeah, it, it's gross. And, you know, we're not privy to the investigation. I would hope that, you know, they did their due diligence to try and get more information from the person who made the accusation because it was just a, um anonymous account on Twitter. And the thing about that is, like, people are like, well, should we take into account what everyone says anonymously on Twitter? It's like, well, like, this was a detailed detailed report yeah and most people aren't doing that yeah and they're like well this was only account with one tweet it's like yeah because they probably didn't want to tweet on their actual account so weirdos didn't come after them starting harassing them yeah because people who post this stuff get harassed even if it's true yeah exactly so and most of the time it is true yeah because it's not worth it that's the thing right so you know, they didn't find enough. And I, I do hope the details of the investigation come out. If they, you know, I haven't seen any really. It was just that they concluded there wasn't enough evidence. Um, the NHLPA made a disgusting statement. I don't know if you saw that. I did, unfortunately. Where I did. They basically said it was unacceptable the way the NHL handled it, where they didn't think Ian Cole should be suspended at all. Or, you know, had, so he was basically taken out of the opening of the game. He's, we are pleased with the situation with Ian Cole is now resolved and the NHL has closed the matter. Our players should never be subject to suspension or discipline in response to unsubstantiated and anonymous accusations. Removing a player from his team under these circumstances is inappropriate and grossly unfair. We are engaging with the league in discussion on how to address some of the situation in the future. That is disgusting. Yeah, it's bad. He was suspended was... with pay. This with is pay. a common common practice among any industry. I was just going to say it's industry standard, but you're right. It's more standard than just industry because it's literally just like cultural standard, I guess would be. Yeah. Yeah. Like I get it in terms of like, I'm sure, you know, if you're innocent and you know, you have to miss some time, that's not ideal. But the flip side of that is you're just letting a known abuser play until you quote unquote get to the bottom of it. And he was spent with pay. It's not like this guy was losing out on paychecks. Exactly. Um, so like, millionaire suspended with pay for a week um, is not worth like the cost benefit analysis as opposed to letting a predator play on national TV for a week. 
It's yeah, not worth a trade-off. Like it's a pretty, were, pretty normal practice. Well, the PA's job is defending their players. This isn't defending a player. This is just being gross. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like if, exactly. If he was suspended without pay during this and then found innocent, that's different. This is just yes. common practice. Yeah. So, exactly. It's the most most standard thing in the world. Yeah. So I, I'm just a bad situation all around um but you know we figure we shouldn't mention it uh the other thing is hockey canada i don't know if you saw the date there was a third fund that came out apparently um that uh, a third hidden fund uh however their entire board of directors has stepped down uh which is a very very rare bright spot in this situation um it's going to take a lot more than just that to regain people's trust or even think about regaining people's trust but um yeah it's gonna be years yes and like lots and lots of work is needed but this is better than them holding out which was what was happening over the past couple of months yeah that's pretty sad that it took this long to be honest yes it, yeah absolutely um so that's another update in the hockey canada situation uh i'm just seeing pierre run tweeted about an hour ago, Gary Bettman, after a four-hour Board of Governors meeting, tells assembled media here in New York that the escrow balance likely will be paid off at the end of this season by players. If so, the salary cap will jump uh, this summer around $4 million. If not fully paid, it'll still only go up one. So we could see that cap jump. We've talked about so many times this podcast already this offseason. That'd be nice to see. Yes, it would. So, um, you know, maybe that's a... A little bit more of a bright spot, obviously, off a, a down, uh, you know, not uh, just it's stuff we have to talk about. You know, it's not uh, easy to talk about, but it, the know, worst part with the Hockey Canada stuff is I'm sure we're, you know, six days away from a new something new that Katie and horrible that Katie Strang is going to uncover about the situation. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, I don't I don't really have much more to say on that. Um I hope everyone is enjoying the hockey so far. It's good to have hockey back. It's a nice thing to know. Um, I know personally there's been, especially with the weather changing, you can't even get outside as much, but it's very nice to know that, oh, I don't have anything to do tonight. What, like, I have absolutely no plans. Oh, there's a hockey game on. I can throw that on now at least, right? So joining us now, he is an athletic NHL writer. He's also co-host of the Puck Soup podcast and the Athletic Hockey Show. Uh, it is the one and only Sean McIndoo, also known as Down Goes Brown on Twitter. John, thank you so much for joining us today. How's it going, man? Hey, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Just just to clarify, I am a, a writer at The Athletic. I am not an athletic writer. Uh, anyone who's ever seen me or attempted to play any sports with me would, would need that clarified. Hey, that's all right. Chase and I definitely, I think, fit in that same boat. If you saw us at our big indoor soccer match last night, it definitely wouldn't have been the prettiest of feats. uh, Very good. um, Today, we're we're just looking to break down some stuff in the NHL and, you know, with the season actually getting underway and there's some hockey to talk about here, uh, we thought it'd be a great time to have you on and just kind of bounce around some topics in the NHL. And uh, I'll get us started because, you know, we can't have you on the podcast and and not talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. That just wouldn't be right. So let's let's get the topic out there right away. What are your feelings with this team this year? And more importantly, how are you feeling about the team after the four-game start that they've had so far, especially that Arizona performance? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's interesting, and it's got to be 
got to be a little bit confusing to other fan bases because the one thing that we have said about the 2022-23 Maple Leafs ever since the second that the series with Tampa Bay ended in another first-round exit is nothing that they do in the regular season matters. doesn't matter. They could go 82-0. They could go 82-0. They could shatter every record, uh, individual, team, and otherwise – and it will not matter until they win in the playoffs. That is where this team is at. There is no scenario in which they have anything that you could consider a successful season if they don't win at least a round. And at this point, probably even more than that. Uh, so the regular season doesn't matter. And yet here we are four games in to a regular season that doesn't matter. And we're freaking out over a two and two start. And, and you know, I'm sure there's some people out there going, well, hold on. Uh, you know, what are we doing here? Like, are, are we honestly saying that if they beat the Arizona Coyotes 10 to nothing, it doesn't matter, but they lose by one goal uh, on a controversial uh, review with a minute left? Are we saying that matters? And the answer is, yeah, we, we are. Because what people are looking at with this team is it, not so much the wins and losses, because there's so much talent on this team that, they're going to make the playoffs barring a complete and total uh, uh, meltdown this year. And if that happens, then yes, I mean, uh, everybody who's ever worked for this team will get fired and there will be major roster changes and all of that. But but nobody really, even the people panicking over Arizona and Montreal, nobody thinks this team is going to miss the playoffs. What we think, a lot of us, is we look at this team and we go, Man, it's the same thing with these guys. They are not, none of the lessons are being learned. Uh, none of the things that make us tear our hair out about this team uh, seem to be getting fixed. The approach doesn't seem to be changing. And and with the Leafs and in the Austin Matthews era, one of the things you always hear is this team just has a maddening uh, need to always play down to their competition. Uh, they If they are playing a great team, they can give you a great game. And, you know, we saw that in the, in the Tampa series, they, they gave that team absolutely everything they could handle a really good team, second best team in the league. Uh, and the Leafs had them absolutely on the ropes uh, on a couple of occasions. We also saw it in the Montreal series, a team that stunk, a team that wasn't any good. And the Leafs played down to their level and, and again, had another one goal series and uh, that, that went the wrong way. And man, I have, I've written about this a, a couple of times. Where sometimes when you have a team that's underachieving, people go, well, you know, they, it's because they don't handle adversity. As soon as the going gets tough, they quit. They crumble. All of that stuff. And I don't think that's the case with this Leafs team. I think, if anything, it's the opposite. I, it, when there's adversity, they do pretty well. The problem is that as soon as things are going even mildly okay, they, get, they ease off the gas pedal. They hang the big mission accomplished banner. They pat themselves on the back. And they take it easy. And, and that's when they end up blowing a lead it's when they end up losing you know a few games in a row to teams that they should beat uh it's ending it's when they end up choking away a chance to end a playoff series and uh, you know when to see them lose to montreal see them lose to arizona you know what those teams are going to beat teams this year neither one of those teams was going to go 0 and 82 uh they're going to beat teams are going to be good teams that's how it works in the nhl any given night anyone can beat anyone but you just look at this and you go man they come out opening night and they lay an egg against a bad Montreal team, you would think for at least a week, we would get something approaching top effort from these guys, something approaching top performance. 
And instead, they string two decent games together, beat two decent teams, and apparently give themselves a night off against Arizona. And, and that's what just drives people crazy. Not that they think that, you know, two losses at the end of the world or they're going to miss the playoffs or any of this stuff. But it's just always the same story. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. And and Leaf fans are just sick and tired of seeing Sheldon Keith get up and give his, you know, we didn't start on time speech uh, over and over again with this team. Like, give us 60 minutes and, and do it a few times in a row. And every team has a few bad nights, uh, even the best of them. But, man, this Leafs team seems to like to squeeze an awful lot of them in. And it's too many for a team that, as good as they are, has never won a damn thing and has no reason at all to be patting themselves on the back for anything. Yeah, Chase, I, I'd love you chime in in a second here, too. The, uh, the comment there that really sticks out, and obviously, Sean would know, we recorded yesterday as well, about an hour uh, before we realized you were coming on today. Um, so anyone listening to this podcast when it comes out is going to get a laugh because Chase and I talked about the Leafs-Arizona game and Chase said the exact same thing of, isn't it ironic that this team could go 82-0 and 0 and people will not care? But yeah. the two losses in September, and or in October, sorry, and it has people freaking out. And I think there is stuff to take away from that. But Chase, what are, what are your opinions on that? Yeah, I love the point that it's not that they can't handle adversity because that sounds true. You just be like, oh, like, LOL, they lost six straight playoff series. They can't handle adversity. But you're so right. Like, nobody's scarier than the Toronto Maple Leafs down three goals. And right. Yet, nobody's more complacent man, than man, the I even, top three goals. I tweeted that on, uh, on, on Monday night, right, when they were down 2 nothing, and everyone's doing their, you know, the same stupid tweets about how the Leafs are leafing again and, and all of this stuff. And I said, you know, like, they're going to score three goals in five minutes in the third period. And then they're going to take all the wrong lessons away from that. And they're, they're going to, uh, and, and it's going to end up with, uh, you know, they'll get a point or whatever out of it. And it was, I was wrong on two accounts. It was, it was three goals in six minutes, not five. And, it, and, and the, and the third goal didn't count. Uh, they got them on a technicality on the, the glove pass review. Uh, so they they didn't end up getting a point, which is probably for the best. I mean, at least now they're they're yeah. they're not walking around because I you know this point that I keep making about you know adversity versus uh, uh, when it's not. I, I'll give you the, the two examples that stick out to me. Number one is the Columbus series in the bubble. So 2020, yeah. uh, they go in. They're playing a, a good Columbus team. I mean, people forget this, but they they were tied in the standings basically with that Columbus team. And Blue Jackets had beaten the Lightning the year before, so they're playing a pretty good team. They go out there, game one, they kind of get uh, they kind of get shut down. They come back, they win game two, they lose game three. Now they're facing elimination. It's game four, and they're down three nothing, and there's five minutes left in the game. They're done. Season over. What a disaster for these guys. They're going to lose in four games in a five-game series to the Columbus Blue Jackets. What a bunch of bums. You couldn't have more adversity than that. So what happens? Bop, 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 three goals in a row with the goalie out. They tie the game. They send it to overtime. Austin Matthews wins it in overtime. Holy crap. Talk about a team that can face adversity. Talk about a team that never gives up. These guys never quit. And you're sitting there, you know, if you're in the sports media business, you're in the narrative world. You're sitting there going, this is it, man. That's the turning point right there. That's the Dave Roberts stolen base. That's this team just flipped this way. And then what happens? Game five, they come out and they're garbage because we got, 24, 48 hours of everybody blowing smoke about how great these guys were and how they had flipped the switch. And so they came out, they just sleepwalked through it. An even bigger example for me is um, 
you know, you, you talk about a time where, where it got easy. How about they're playing the Carolina Hurricanes regular season and they're down four to one, but all Carolina's goalies are all hurt. And here comes the Zamboni driver. <laughs> this pudgy 40 year old is coming into play net. And if you remember first two shots, the Leafs take on David Ayers go in. It's four to three right away. Two shots, two goals. And you're sitting there going, man, this third period is going to be a clown show. And of course it wasn't. We all know how it went the rest of the way. The Leafs looked like garbage. Carolina looked great to their credit. David Ayers shuts them out the rest of the way and they lose. Well, I mean, at that point, they are the laughing stock, not of the hockey world, not even the sports world. They're the laughing stock of the world, period. This story is front page everywhere. Some hockey team just lost to a Zamboni driver. People who don't even watch hockey are laughing at the Leafs. And if you remember, this was right before the trade deadline. People are like, what do you even do now? I mean, should we just blow this whole thing up? Should we even, should they go out and get any rentals? Should they even pretend like everybody is ripping on this team? This is this is much adversity and ridicule and whatever you want to call it that you could face. Now, what a lot of people don't remember is as soon as that game ended, they went out down the road and in Florida, their next game was in Tampa Bay. So they're playing the best team in the league on the road. And everybody in the world is laughing at them. And what happens? They go up and beat Tampa Bay. Of course they do. Of course they do. Because everyone's counting them out and that's what they do. And, you know, right now we've had 72 hours of this stuff. Does anybody not think that they're going to go out against a, a 3-0 and Dallas team that's hitting on all cylinders that has maybe the best goalie in the league and probably scores seven goals Thursday night and win that game? And we'll all go, ah, the Leafs are back. Great job. And then in a couple of nights, they play San Jose, who will be 0-8, and they'll lose to San Jose. And the whole cycle will keep going and going and going. It's maddening with these guys. And you keep waiting for the moment where you can go, all right, they've grown up a little bit. They've learned something from all these losses. Everything else, everyone loves that narrative that you lose in the playoffs and you learn from it. Everybody loves to look at that and go, all right, oh, this is, yeah, they never would have won the cup if it wasn't for this heartbreak or that one. Well, yeah, they should have learned something by now. And yet when you see... Games like we've seen at the start of the season it doesn't seem like they're learning much. It seems like they don't see any reason to change. They they seem to feel that this is that this is all fine. So I don't know. Um, it's uh, it's it's not panic time. But if you're a Leaf fan and you're just you've had it with these guys, I don't think you're being out of line. Without trying to spend too much of you here just talking about only the Leafs, the one thing I did want to bring up is this story felt oddly familiar to me. You know, heartbreaking playoff loss. Oh, we'll learn from this. We'll learn from this. Start the next season disappointing. And I go, well, what, where did oh, I see wait. that from? The 2021-2022 Toronto Maple Leafs schedule. Started with a win yep. against the Montreal Canadiens. Montreal was just coming off a cup final, so that was considered a good win. They then lose to a rebuilding Ottawa Senators team. They then beat mm-hmm. a rebuilding Ottawa Senators team. And then dropped four in a row, including the Rangers, Sharks, Penguins, Hurricanes. Everyone was panicking. Guess what? They turn around, they rattle off five wins and 10 of, or 13 of their next 15 were all wins. Going on a massive winning streak. It looks like their season's turned around again, have one of the best seasons in franchise history, and we all know what happened last year. So yep. uh, it's it's honestly crazy. Like, and the Columbus thing is, I, I can't get over it. For any other team, it felt like that should have been the, the absolute turning point, the narrative, like, okay, here we go, come back, time to go, they're going on a long run, and obviously it didn't happen we don't want to keep you talking <laughs> talking about this forever and uh you know just keep winding you up but uh chase is there any other topics you want to hit on quick before we uh let sean go was there anything specific you're looking for this year or you know anything you're looking out for at all like for the year in general 
Yeah, just in general. Any any team, any player. Okay, I have a very general one that I'm curious to hear thoughts on. Do you guys think scoring stays super high this year? Man. Uh, all right, well, let me let me start by saying I don't accept the premise that scoring is super high. Uh, I'm, I'm saying we're, we're on a Zoom call. I'm looking at you two, okay? You, yeah. you you guys, I'm older than you. Let's put it that. Let's be really kind here, all right? <laughs> I'm, I'm getting that you guys probably don't have a lot of fond memories of like the 80s and early 90s <laughs> and stuff when, when scoring was super high. Um, and, and obviously, as someone who's, you know, I've written a book about the history of the NHL, this stuff kind of comes and goes, but um, good, good luck. I mean, we just talked about the Leafs patting themselves on the back every time they do anything right. The, the NHL and hockey fans and the way every time scoring goes up, a fraction of a goal just goes, oh, that's the dead puck era is finally over. <laughs> oh, fi- we had 18 years in a row of 6.0 goals per game, but now we got 6.1. So, you know, the, the offensive explosion is here. Uh, you know, the, the fact is scoring was up a little bit last year. Yeah. Um, there's a ton of room for it to keep going on. I, I've, I've beaten this topic into the de- into the ground over over the years of, of all the things the league could do and how much better this league is when when it's and I'm not talking even the 80s. The 80s averaged eight goals a game. You want to say that's too much? Okay, fine. Six and a half, seven. That that's great. The, that early 90s uh, range uh, was great, and and we're not anywhere near that. Uh, and so it bugs me when people say, you know, scoring's high or, you know, the dead puck air is over. And I, cause I'm sitting there going, no, no, we can keep going. Let's build on this. Let's keep going. Now that having been said, what was really interesting about last year was the, this, the relatively small uptick in scoring really all seemed to be coming from the top end players. Um, yeah. Or, you know, at the very least, like, like you'd be forgiven if you don't look at, at league rates for thinking scoring was way up because suddenly, you know, we went through, uh, decades where you know you, it was rare to see someone score 50 goals or get 100 points. And suddenly now we got all these guys getting, you know, not, you know, getting 100 points, 95 points. Every team's got a couple of point of game guys. And you're going, this is great. Like, this is, this is, if you're in a hockey, I gave up on hockey pools forever ago because I was sick and tired of figuring out who's going to get 68 points and who's going to get 65. <laughs> but if you were in a hockey pool, it was probably lots of fun last year because suddenly you're sitting there going, ah, my guy's going to get 100 points. This is awesome. Um, does it stay that way? Oh, man, I would I would love to think that it would. Um, but the the thing that concerns me is it, it, and it's it's two things and they're related. Number one is the league didn't really do anything to cause last year. It's not yeah. like anything changed. And, and and the related point is nobody could figure out what was actually going on. Like there are a lot of pieces that were written where people are like, why is scoring up? And they would talk to them, well, you know, people had different theories and um, it, you know, at one point, uh, we looked into it on, on the athletic hockey show with, uh, uh, Ian Mendez and, and Jesse Granger, who's our, our guy in Vegas and is also a goalie. And we were looking at it and going, man, there's a lot of third string goalies playing this year because of COVID because of guys, you know, missing time, getting hurt. And when you looked at like third and fourth string goalies and you looked at how badly they were performing, and then you kind of took that out of the baseline you were left with what seemed like a pretty similar year to previous years. And we we're kind of like, Oh no, is this really just, is, is this maybe just a COVID effect where there's lots of crappy goalies getting pushed into action who shouldn't be playing? Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to think it's not that I'd, I'd love for this to be the start of a step where for the next five years, score goes up each year by as much as it did last year. And then we could really feel like, you know, this is great. But the reality is the league didn't do anything. The league didn't make any changes. 
Um, and nobody could seem to agree on what it was. And when nobody knows why something is happening, that's often a pretty good indicator that it's it's not going to keep happening. Well, even worse than nobody knows what's happening, and this could just be my experience. Obviously, Twitter is very bubbly, but I think the prevailing narrative that I saw was that it was like a youth movement. There hasn't yeah. been a good draft class since like 2015. Yeah. I, I don't think it was that. Yeah. If no, anything, I mean, that's... that's uh... That's not a bad point. You know, a lot of, a lot of young stars having big years, but um, yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah. Cause like, if you look at guys like Trevor Zegers, I think was second in color voting last year. Like he put up 60 points and I don't want to like knock that. Obviously mm-hmm. it's very impressive for a rookie to do so, but that's not like an overhauling the league youth movement. If that's the kind of guy who we're all going nuts over. Yeah, no, and I, I would agree with that. And look, I mean, one of the things that, that drives me nuts is, you know, when whenever I get on my old man rant about, uh, uh, you know, uh, scoring, the game was so much better in the 80s and 90s when scoring was up and everything. And people go, well, the game wasn't better, right? I mean, the the yeah, maybe it was more entertaining, but the players have never been better. They've never been more talented. You look at, you know, Austin Matthews and McDavid and, you know, gone down the list. We've never had this many good players in their prime at the same time, that's the Gary Batten line, right? That's what he loves to yeah. pull out. We've never seen more talent than this. And my response to that is, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And it sucks that this much talent is out there scoring six goals a game. This many great young players are out there shooting a puck, trying through four sets of legs to try to get it on net on these giant goalies. You know, it it sucks that look. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not one of these guys who's who's going to crap on Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux or you know generational guys like that. But you go back in the '80s, you know, pick pick the you know somebody who was the fifth or tenth best player in uh, in the '80s. You know, like a Mike Gartner, and compare him to a guy today. Yeah, I mean, the guy today is probably better. But then watch a clip of Mike Gartner going down the winding up to take a shot and freeze frame it just at the moment that he's about to shoot and look at the net that he's looking at. And then look at the net that Austin Matthews is looking at. Now, look, I've never in my life, and I'm a Leafs fan, so you know this is, this is a little bit of a homer take, but I've never in my life seen somebody who could pick a spot as quickly as Austin Matthews on a wrist shot. Like, I, I've just never seen like how quickly he gets the shot off being exactly where he wants it to. But he's got two inches to shoot at. Like, he has to do that to score. And, man, wouldn't it be fun if we could get back to a, a place where guys like that had a little bit more to shoot at. Imagine guys had the same amount of net that Wayne Gretzky used to have when he used to come in and cut across the blue line and take a slap shot. Like when was the last time you saw a forward take a slap shot on the rush? They never have a room to do it now, but they they did back then at these little tiny goalies. And yeah, the goalies stunk back then. They could barely stand up. I'm not saying that we should go to back to having lousy goalies, but these giants that we have, and you look at these few, and they've got four guys in front of them all blocking different sections. And then we sit there and, and we we watch the puck finally careen in a 0-0 game off like three sets of legs and bounce in and finally goes in and we all jump up. And then we turn to our friend who doesn't like hockey. And we're like, why? Why aren't you jumping up? Wasn't that great? And that guy's like, dude, is there anything else on? This sucks. Uh, and and that I, if we had real leadership and in this league, there would have been they would have done something about this 20 years ago. I the, the mo- I, I joke about you guys being young. But the, the the saddest thing that I ever saw was there was a, a piece a couple of years ago where they were asking best players in the league, what would you do to increase scoring? And Connor McDavid said, 
I might put the red line back in. I was like, why, why would you do that? And he goes, because, you know, then uh, you know, it may be that it would force us to make more passes in the neutral zone and, and, you know, something, something like that. And I was just like, does this guy not remember the neutral zone trap? Like how bad it was in like in the mid nineties before. And then I realized like, Oh crap. No, he doesn't. He wasn't even born yet. Then like, we are literally at a point where the best players in the league, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews were not even born in an era where there was more than six goals a game before the devils and the Panthers and all these teams ruined hockey's in the mid nineties. Like they have no concept of it. So it's not going to come from them. The push, uh, you know, the, the coaches these days, the coaches grew up not just in that era. They grew up playing in that era and then learned to coach in that era. And now they are the coaches in that era. And they're teaching another wave of coaches in that era because it's been 25 years and the league just sits around and goes, yeah, maybe we'll do something eventually. Meanwhile, you look at for you look at the NFL. I've I've mentioned this yeah. a million times. 2003, they had one bad playoff game between the Colts and the Patriots. It was Brady versus Manning, big hype, going to be this offensive shootout between the two star quarterbacks. And instead, uh, one team was just just basically played a a, a a very good and very within the rules defensive style, but a very boring one where they were just crushing the receivers at the line and not giving them any room. And the league immediately was like, no, no, no. We're changing the rules this year. And it's been nothing but offensive records in the NFL ever since. You look at Major League Baseball, which gives hockey a run for its money for how up their own behind they are for tradition and not changing anything. They've had a couple of years of the shift and, and you know, not even scoring being down, but entertainment being down, right? It's all home runs and strikeouts now. And they're making radical changes. And meanwhile, hockey is in year, God, I don't know, 27 now of going, what if we tinkered with how offensive faceoffs work? What if we made this guy put his stick down in a different spot? And you're just sitting there going, good Lord, guys. When, when the NFL is making better leadership decisions than you are, you got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the one thing I want to hit on real quick before we go, and, you know, it, it was kind of fitting going from scoring, you know, that's usually considered good hockey or exciting hockey to absolutely bad. I'm really curious to keep an eye on just how ugly the tank for Bedard gets this year. Uh, yes. A couple of notable teams that are already really throwing their hat in the ring would be the San Jose Sharks, who are rocking an 0-5 record and a minus 11 goals differential to start the season. Uh, mm-hmm. The Coyotes, obviously, they got their win against Toronto, but they look really, really bad against, I believe it was Boston and Pittsburgh in the first two games. And uh, the Blackhawks are going to be right there as well, of course. Um, you know, Philly, we thought, would be down there. They're 3-0. I don't believe that's going to stay that way. But yep. I am very curious to see how aggressive the tank for Bedard gets this year. Yeah. That could keep scoring up, too. Yeah, that could. Yeah, that 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 absolutely could. And, and, and I see, I made this point because it, the last time we saw a real terrible tank battle, was 2015, I would argue, right? The Connor McDavid. Yeah. And that was for two reasons. It was because Connor McDavid was a generational superstar. And, and you know, in hindsight, he's been even better than we thought. That, that was obviously part of it. But the other reason was that there was Jack Eichel in that draft, who was considered a blue chip can't miss, not quite McDavid level, but this guy was a hell of a consolation prize. And if you remember back then, the draft lottery only had one, one spot. Up for grabs, which meant if you finished dead last, you were guaranteed a top two pick. If you finished dead last, you were getting a generational star. You weren't getting odds. You weren't getting lottery chances, ping pong balls. You were guaranteed to get one of those two guys. And so we saw Buffalo and Arizona certainly 
just absolutely debase themselves trying to tank. And other teams, including Toronto, jump in on that as the season went in and, and uh, you know, just, just really go for that. And it ends up, you know, Buffalo finishes dead last. They don't win the lottery, but they get Jack Eichel, and it's all worth it for them. And after that, they changed the lottery and they made it so it was it was for three picks. And we saw teams like Colorado finish last, drop all the way down to number four. And that was the league saying, we don't want to be in that situation again. Well, guess what? Well, you know, what happens? A few owners complain, a few GMs complain. So they changed it again. And now it's three spots are up for grabs. In, in other words, sorry, two spots are up for grabs, which means if you finish dead last, you got a top three pick. Well, now you look at this year and you go, okay, got Connor Bedard. But remember, you finish dead last, you get a 20% chance of Connor Bedard. That's all you get. Are there any other great prospects? Yeah, turns out there are. There's, yeah. uh, you know, this this Russian kid who is uh, uh, just looks fantastic uh, is is another kind of Jack Eichel level guy in the sense that in any other year he'd be the clear number one and all that. And there's some concerns the fact that he's Russian. When's he going to come over and all of that stuff? Um, but uh, Matvey Mitchkov is his name. Um, he, he's he's an absolute uh, superstar in the making. And then. You got this guy, Adam Fantilli, the University yeah. of Michigan, who went into the year as kind of the number three. And some people were saying, you know what, that's another superstar blue chip. And some people were saying, I'm not really sure. Uh, and, you know, season's just started. He, he's off to an amazing start. If that guy locks in and becomes number three, look out. Because now if you're Arizona, Chicago, San Jose, whoever, you're sitting there going, the absolute worst case, if we finish dead last, is we get Adam Fantilli, who in most draft years would be a number one. Like this guy is is shaping up to be at least like a Jack Hughes level prospect, Jack Eichel level prospect. Yeah, sign me up. Versus if it's one guy or two guys, there is that part where you're going, man, are how bad, how embarrassing are we going to let it get for twenty percent lottery chance? Uh, and then you're not really sure. But if there, if there's two guys or definitely three guys, look out. And I mean, we're already kind of there. I'm, you know, Arizona's probably. Like, I, I I made a joke, but I said. I was half surprised when when Toronto when that goal got waved off with a minute left. I was surprised Arizona didn't challenge that and go like, no, 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 let, let's <laughs> let's count that because uh, we're not we're not ever trying to beat the Toronto Maple Leafs. Are you crazy? And uh, and obviously they wouldn't do that. Players don't tank, front offices tank, but uh, there's going to be some serious blatant tanking, especially if they Fantilli and Mishkev and those guys really turn out to be as good as advertised. Absolutely, I just I I want to see. The most aggressive I've seen tanking is the Buffalo Sabres trading away a goalie because he was making too many saves in 2015. Yeah, yeah. they just had no goalies. And their yeah. fans are – you remember that game where it was uh, Buffalo, Arizona, and, like, the fans – the game's in Buffalo and the fans are cheering when Arizona scores. And, you know, and some, of the players, some of the players were mad. You know, they were ticked off about that. And there is a point. I mean, th- there's a cautionary lesson here, too, because, mm-hmm. I mean, you, Buffalo and Arizona, that was – seven years ago and both of those teams still stink, right? Like a lot of teams convince themselves I'll tank. We get Connor Bedard. We flip the switch. We'll be good again. And, and that switch doesn't flip all the time. Um, but at the same time, I mean, if you could go back in time and not know who's going to win the lottery, but somebody would just say like, Hey man, how good is this McDavid? Is he worth like for 20% odds? You'd be sitting there going like, yeah, yeah. Shoot it into your own net for 20% odds. I mean, you're, you, you, you absolutely should be doing that. So uh, it's going to get crazy with you know trades and guys getting shot. I mean, the Hawks will trade Taves and Kane if they can. And if not, I mean, if you're Jonathan Taves and you say, I'm not waving my no trade, you better not have a hangnail because yeah. Kyle Davidson will shut you down. <laughs> LTIR for the season. Yeah. There'll be 
Uh, I mean, Chicago, look, is there anything more blatant than when you go out and you pick up a Leafs goalie to be your starting goalie? I mean, come on. We all know what's <laughs> happening there. Um, it's uh, it's going to get ugly and ridiculous. And I know people go, hey, you know, Team Chaos, let's bring it on. But there, I, there's a part of me that just goes, this is so stupid. Let's not do this. Yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. I, I think a couple teams will definitely go that 2016 Toronto route where anytime anyone is even remotely injured, you are getting shut down for Done. four That's right. Months. Yeah, it does exactly. not That's... matter yeah, what it is. So, um, John, thank you so much for joining us today. We kept you a little longer than uh, you know, we were planning originally, but this was awesome. And we'll definitely have to have you on again later in the year when there's, I'm sure, tons more to talk about. Um, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the hockey. Yeah, I'm I'm a Leafs fan, so I won't enjoy it. But other than that, yeah, thank you, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk again at some point. Yes, I, I guess I should rephrase it. Hopefully, it's less miserable than past years. Thank but. you, I appreciate well, there it. There you go. Yeah, thanks. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Thank you so much to Sean for joining us. Uh, again, I hope everyone uh, enjoyed that podcast as much as we did. Uh, we had a great time recording it. So, um, yeah. If there's anyone else you ever want to hear guest on our podcast, please just let me know. Um, we're always looking for more people. And we, we got another guest we wanna, we've got lined up over the next couple of weeks we're hoping to get on. Uh, so that'll be exciting too. You know, we always talk about it. And it's one of the things we kind of don't always fall through. It's it's good to have just the two of us, but also we get other voices involved at points as well. So, um, as always, you can find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com. I probably won't be writing too much this week. Um, as the time people are hearing this, I will actually be in Ottawa to watch the next two Senators games on Thursday against the Capitals, Saturday against the Coyotes. So that's uh, really exciting. Looking forward to that. Um, you can find my other podcast, The Last Word on Sens podcast, wherever you listen to this one. Uh, and then me on Twitter at NHL Sens and stuff. Chase, you can find on Twitter at CMHockey66. And you can find all his work at theactionnetwork.com. So thank you everyone so much for listening and we will talk to you all next week. 